The Way Out Podcast, episode 282. What's your name, brother? My name is Joseph Anderson Green. Joseph Anderson Green. That's cool. A middle name, dude. Um, what is or was your substance of choice or DOC? Uh, cocaine, alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. What was your uh clean or sober date? It was 11-24-2016. Nice, bro. Yeah, you're just like right we're like neck and neck. I go like July 23rd, 2016. This is pretty cool. I guess I would have thought you were clean a lot longer than that. <laughs> we can talk about it. I, I mean it's 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 um I you know it's very rare very very rare that i answer that question um uh and it's because there's a sober date and then there's a recovery date and if you ask me when i entered recovery when i started trying my best to discover how to live in harmony with all the that was going on in my head um i would have said 11 years ago um when i left upstate new york because i left upstate new york with the express purpose of getting better so i i think there's way too much that gets put into sober date um right. and and i also qualm with the term clean um but i know that when i'm with other folks who have lived this life like there are certain words that we reclaim um but like if you are in this space with me you can say clean, you can say former addict, you can say whatever it takes for you in this space. But like when certain folks are, uh, I get interviewed a lot by press or whatever. When other folks try to use the word clean, I I, I tend to push back. Um, because no, I, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I just, no. I don't like, I because I, I don't think I, this, what does it mean to be dirty, right? Um, as opposed to what does it mean to be well juxtaposed by sick um, and, I was mad sick for a long time. And if I have mental illness, which I still have, like I'm still dealing with that. Um, like what, when's my, what's my sobriety date? What's my clean date for depression or anxiety or whatever. But anyway, yeah. I'm not trying, I'm not, I don't, I, I don't want to be that dude either. It's like, there's a proper <laughs> term for everything. No, but um, when yeah, I, I work cool with Because you. we need those perspectives. We need those yeah. different perspectives. And you'd be surprised we hear that quite a bit. We've, we've even had, we've had guests who really just can't, they pretty much refuse to answer it. You know, they're just <laughs> like, no, cause and same, same type of argument. So, I mean, it's all, it's all good. We, we love that. I welcome it. And I, I like it. I can take it on and I can learn from you guys when you tell me these things and that's, that's good stuff. Cause it is true. You know, like saying clean kind of in, in you know, makes it sound like I was dirty, but you're just we're all good people trying to get better right yeah yeah so yeah go ahead okay how do you serve the recovery community and in whatever way i can um i am i am a writer i am a storyteller um so there have been times where that has been what is asked of me uh i am trained in peer recovery i don't do it very often um but i because of my exposure 
have lots of people come to me asking for connection to recovery services and and folks who are sober curious i think is the um, phrase or wanting to know where they are on the spectrum and da 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 da, da. so i wanted to get some training in that um uh, advocate uh whenever my voice has been asked and i've been available to speak on behalf of the recovery community um i've done that i've written pieces for it and um yeah and 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 in youth um i've been doing prevention and recovery uh with young people for even before i knew i was doing prevention and recovery uh i've been working with young people and and i, I feel like the act of doing that in and of itself providing space teaching young people things giving them opportunities to discover their voice and use their voice and so on and so forth which we'll get into later yeah. but uh yeah, so that's that's how I serve in, in whichever capacity I can. Absolutely. You, and I can attest to that just from the little bit I got to know you at Mobilize Recovery. Like, you, you're an amazing human being. You're doing a lot of good. You're making a big difference. Uh, what does recovery mean to you? Recovery is an acknowledgement that life can hurt and harm and I have to choose to want to heal from that. It's a choice. Mm. Um, I try to think about that question in earnest whenever it gets asked to me. I don't, I don't, I don't have one answer that I give um, because it, it, the definition of it has grown with me and my understanding of it. At first, it was a place of refuge. It was a place to hide. It was a place to get away from the world so that I could even see what was wrong with me. And then it became um, uh, a method by which I, I led my life. Um, I was acknowledging that I was hurt or, or, or injured or traumatized and that I needed to do certain things to, to get the use of myself back. And then it became something by which I maintained it by telling as many people about it as possible because it helped me remain accountable and it felt good to at least give people the good news you know it's, it's a, i come from a my, my parents are, are super christian and so i come from a you know if you got something good for people it's your responsibility to go out and give it to them um and so then it became you know a banner something that i wore like with pride on my chest and now it's it's the lens through which i see most of the world I, I i i look at people and i want to no matter what space i encounter them in make sure i am offering them the same redemptive hope that recovery and the people that i've come across in recovery have offered me so there's your long answer no i love that answer i love that answer because it's a more will be revealed as we as we continue on the path and there's always next layer, you know, the next level uh, and more more to work on personally, more that you can share with others, you know, and it, 
the more you can offer the people around you. So no, it's a wonderful answer. And I love that redemptive hope, redemptive hope. That's, that's what it's about, bro. That's what it's about. And you shine it. You can tell people all day till you're blue in the face, but it's, they just see it. It's the, that speaks louder than any words you could say. Welcome way out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the way out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out Podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out Podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and allrecoveryrings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's allrecoveryrings.com. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, our intrepid co-host Jason brings us a truly special interview with person in long-term recovery, motivational speaker, educator, trainer, professional storyteller, and award-winning spoken word poet, Joseph Green. Joseph has been featured in numerous publications, as well as the recently released award-winning documentary film, Tipping the Pain Scale. Joseph's presentations and workshops are for anyone seeking a reconnection to purpose, motivation, or community. Joseph has a distinct ability to viscerally articulate the emotional experience of addiction and the imperfection of what recovery can feel like. One of Joseph's core messages he shares with us and audiences worldwide is one that is at the center 
of what the Way Out podcast is all about, the truly transformative power of story. Finding our voices and sharing the inspirational and healing power embodied within our powerful recovery stories has the very real capacity to heal others while at the very same time healing ourselves through the transformational power of connection, purpose, and community. Of equal value is how Joseph's work serves as an important reminder that more important than knowing what we are fighting against is knowing and never forgetting what we are fighting for. Whatever you do, be sure to stay tuned until the end of the interview for a -a one-of-a-kind performance of one of his original poems that is sure to blow your mind. A poem that starts with a line that so eloquently encapsulates what we here at the Way Out Podcast wish for each and every one of you which reads, and I quote, May you find at the height of your recovery what you never found at the bottom of your addiction. The rest of that outstanding piece of poetry is yours to behold at the end of this extraordinary interview, so be sure to listen up. Hey, what's up everybody out there in Whale Podcast land? It's your trusty co-host Jason here. I got with me Joseph Green. What's up, Joseph? Nothing. Everything. <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's the second day of, of 2022. It so I, I know this is not airing right now, but uh, there is some, I don't know, effect that that is having on, on my being right now. So, yeah. It's I awesome. Am, this is yeah. a good way to kick off the year, though, bro. I mean, it is. It's actually a scary way to kick off the year, to be honest with you. You know, I, 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 spend a lot of time in reflection and self-reflection but typically i get to do that into like a notebook or you know a, a computer or something to actively self-reflect while in recorded conversation yeah it like it puts it at a at a, at a level because you don't want i don't like i don't want any experience to be wasted so i don't want to sit here and put on airs as my mother would say and try to make myself sound other than i am but that's you know people's tendency when you are being recorded or watched you tend especially myself who 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 performs often but yeah i'm i'm really interested in what will come of our our, of the next few minutes that we are together and, and hope that you know, at the very least, between you and I is valuable. And then if there's somebody else listening out there who can gain some wisdom from it, then, you know, yeah. let it be one more step in, on their journey. And I'd, I'd be happy to contribute that. So, so, so true. That's funny you said that, though, because right, right before we started, I was praying, uh, you know, and I was asking God to, like, just enter this space, be part of this conversation, help us um you know put it on our hearts to say and talk about the things that you know maybe we need to on a personal level and and or that somebody out there that's going to listen will need to hear and you know but i always try to include that because i know i need all the help i can get you know and so i i love it when i can uh 
experience that, you know, when I'm doing podcasts or anything, if I'm at the freaking grocery store, dude, and I run into somebody and I have a chat and it's like, if I can get something out of uh, any interaction with another human, that's awesome for me. And if I can contribute something, that's awesome too, because that's how I get to stay clean and, or sober, you know, whatever, whatever, dude. Yeah. Whatever, dude. (laughs) Um, but Joseph here, Joseph, you guys, this dude is crazy. Awesome. I met him at mobilize recovery. They showed a feature film that has yet to be released on widestream media, but it'll be around soon enough for you guys. I think right now it's kind of touring the country and select theaters, uh, but it's called tipping the pain scale. It's a documentary. And he was one of the featured participants in that film. And it was absolutely amazing. You know, and I just was like stoked that you said you would do this, Joe. But Joseph is a motivational speaker. He's an educator. He's a trainer, professional storyteller, award-winning spoken word poet, and a person in long-term recovery. He's been in, as he said, you know, lots of publications, Youth Today, Upworthy, PBS NewsHour, NPR, and many more. Uh, He's done talks and keynote presentations at the American Society of Addiction Medicine in 2017, talks at Google, the University of Baltimore, 2016 to 18, California Statewide Conference of Substance Use Disorder, 2017 Utah Fall Substance Use Conference, Substance Abuse Conference, and the Wisconsin Voices for Recovery Rally for Recovery. And you guys might remember Nadine, uh, who I had on the show recently from uh, from uh, Rise Together. Rise Together. Yeah, I was thinking Wisconsin Voices, but no. But she, I'm sure that's probably where you met her. Um, yeah, dude, you just to what I seen Joseph is like you really have a very unique approach in the way that you teach um kids and adults uh you know blending your spoken word poetry and your storytelling skills and engaging people in that process of writing and expressing themselves in creative ways uh you're empowering people you're helping them with their personal development it's it's really cool especially with the youth because it's where it starts right like if you want to change the future, what better place to start than with the kids? And that's an undertaking that not a lot of people have the um, wherewithal to do, I think. So, yeah, I, I can't wait to hear all about and for you to share all about those things that you do uh, in your professional life and your passion projects. Uh, it's going to be awesome to hear, but I don't know if I'm more excited about learning about that or if I'm more excited about learning about your story. So I don't know. both. They did. Is there is there an entry point that you wanted to you wanted to pop off with or? Well, um, it's generally I think I'd, I'd like to start with you, you know, like let's learn about you and your your experiences in life. So I don't know. I typically ask people to kind of start back, you know, when little Joey was running around and, you know, what was it like for you growing up? How would you describe yourself when you were a kid? And. Uh, yeah. How did you, uh, end up? Take it back. Yeah. Take it, take it back. Yeah. Um, hi world. My name is (laughs) Joseph Green and I was born February 21st, 1981 in Washington, DC at Walter Reed military hospital. This is important, I guess, because 
every member of my immediate family is military, mother, father, brother, and living on military bases and around military people and being raised by a military man has, you know, indelibly shaped who I am in positive ways and negative ways. I guess we can get more into that in a moment. Uh, I was raised primarily in Northern Virginia, but I've lived in the DMV. So that's the uh, district, Maryland and Virginia. My father's job, the nature of his work didn't allow us to travel with him the way you would expect most military, um, especially army families to travel. But I still ended up going to five different elementary schools and that does something to a person. Um, I also, you know, traded friends every two or three years because even if I wasn't leaving, the folks around me were leaving. And so unless, you know, folks were retiring and choosing to live in the Northern Virginia area, like my father did in 91 when he got out. Uh, yeah, a lot of different rotations of friends. And I think uh, little Joseph learned real early how to say goodbye to folks and also how to gain I don't know. I'm not going to call friends, but like to, to 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 walk into a space and be big and be seen and, you know, not waste a lot of time hiding behind and being shy or whatever. And and it was in direct contrast to like my spirit, because as I grew up, I learned many, many years later that I I've always had a deep anxiety, but I was also. I was an extrovert with extreme anxiety, which made me think that I was an introvert, but I gained energy from being in front of people. It was all very confusing for many, many years, yeah. but I, I was in theater at a very young age. I enjoyed being on stage and having people clap and having my parents, you know, have something tangible to appreciate me for. I think it definitely gave them a clear vehicle by which to communicate with me, which I don't think my older brother had. And, you know, it allowed me to find value in, in a skill that I perceived myself to have at a young age, which I think working with young people for as long as I have, I know how important confidence is in oneself and the choices you make, the chances you take, the, the friends you surround yourself with, the, the activities you choose to participate in, and and I just I had that confidence from a young age and, you know, <laughs> earned or unearned. It was there. And so <laughs> uh, I was never I was never um, far away from performing and that I think people ask me now when I say that I have a you know, I'm, I'm being treated for an anxiety disorder and that it's part of my recovery story and part of my mental health story, they say, but you're, you're performing, you're on stage. And I think what uh, some people miss about being on stage, like if you're fine, you know, there's your average nervousness is like, Oh, I wonder if I'm going to trip over myself and so on and so forth. But there is, which is not a nervousness that I have. I hear the voices of everybody in the audience. It's like professor X inside of Cerebro you know, and I can't turn it off um, unless 
I'm being loud. And what people don't understand about that is that even when I'm not on stage, I felt like I was on stage, like walking into a room. No one could be looking at me. But in my mind, I'm perceiving that everybody in the room is aware of me. And it has it has caused me to to, to act out in certain ways. It has caused me to, you know, you know, before I knew why I drank, you know, it became like I couldn't do events performing unless I had done something to like medicate myself down to a chill point where I could like be in a room. And then, you know, if you hear a loud screaming child, that's my two-year-old upstairs um, rebelling against the night. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that, that's that ambient noise in the background. Unfortunately, my studio um, office studio is not soundproof, but um, yeah, you know, I can get, I can get lost in this. Um, because there's just been so many different angles. So let me try to pull it back a little bit. I, I, I did theater in high school. I went and I, I left high school and I went to college and I did theater in college for a couple of years. And then I dropped out and then I toured the country with a theater company and doing children's theater and which was really exciting for like six months. And then the other two and a half years was like, I can't believe this is how people make their living. Uh, and it's not because of the art of theater or even serving young children, but you know, it was on the road five months uh, at a time. We were driving in a, a, a small van going from cafetorium to cafetorium doing the same show. And while there's a use in a, and I think it's really important that children be exposed to arts. So this is not a slight to that. It is, however, a really arduous way to make a living. And if you already had like unhealthy habits, they just become worse on the road, as I think anybody who's ever toured with the music band or whatever um, might be able to attest to. But it's <laughs> not I think about it, it's a little more sad, though, when you're like getting wasted at night and then waking up and doing, you know, the Jungle Book in the morning for like <laughs> eight year olds. Like it's it, there's 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 a there's a HBO series in that somewhere. Right. Um, Starting um, it up and then just putting on the show for the kiddies. Kids, yeah. And then, you know, and getting wasted and trying to hit on teachers while dressed in a, a, a costume. And you're just like, yeah, this is this is I didn't know I was going to get to the bottom at 22. But this this feels like the bottom. Um <laughs> But uh, I, what I, I left that space then, and not because of that. I left that space just because I, 18 years ago, you know, there were a short list of places where you could live on this planet and then attempt to make a full career doing theater or acting in movies. And Richmond, Virginia wasn't one of them. And I was scared to move anywhere else. Like the major cities, like I, maybe until five, six years ago, I wouldn't go to New York City by myself or if I was meeting someone there, they would have to meet me at the train station because of how triggering it was to me uh, to be in an city that big. And the same thing with L.A. I just it's, it was hard for me to conceptualize it. And my wife is from L.A. And so I could tell the things like that. And she's like, that makes no sense. But, you know, it's different if you're from there as opposed to looking at it from the outside. Yeah. And uh and so I, I went into poetry, which seems like a weird shift, but it was something that I had always sort of done in high school. And because of my training as a performer, even my crappy poetry when I was younger seemed better than it was because of how well I was able to bring it to life. 
And so for a long time, I wasn't trading so much on being a poet as much as I was trading on being a performer. And I met a dude from upstate New York and he was in Richmond visiting his aunt for a period of time just to get out of New York. And he had been on a poetry team at his college. I didn't know there was such a thing. And he was like, yeah, they do these things. And it's really big at the SUNY schools. And so we quit our jobs. We worked, I think it was three or four months, put together an album individually, each put together an album. And then we went on tour. And and to be clear, this is not like a tour that's booked by somebody and, you know, you have AR and, you know, promotion and stuff. It's we we called up a bunch of schools and the ones that said yes, we went to and the ones that offered us money, we said thank you. But most of them did not. Uh, but, you know, you're 24. And so you want to do the damn thing. So you do the damn thing. Yeah. That's my dog wanting to be in in the in the. He does this at the height of every good story I tell on Zoom. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was on the road um, and then I settled in a town in upstate New York called Oneonta uh, or as it was called in the late 70s and 80s, Stonyanta. And if you are <laughs> familiar with upstate New York, uh, there's Cooperstown, which is about 30 minutes away. Albany was an hour in the other direction. So upstate New York to anybody who thinks New York begins and ends in the city, but more mid-state to anyone who lives in actual upstate New York. But uh, the weirdest, coldest, snowiest place I had ever lived. Uh, I went to visit it in the spring, but I moved in in the winter and that was a bad idea. So, uh, you know, you, you think it's this little town in the hills and it's like, yo, uh, the dude who wanted us there, we were doing, um, we were forming a, a national comp competitive spoken word team, which sounds ludicrous in a sentence if you aren't a part of the spoken word world. But there was a competition, a slam competition, a national competition. And, you know, you had to enter and you had there were rules on how you put your teams together. And every year there was a competition for prestige and, and money and, and shit talking rights and so on and so forth. So uh, at the end of our little tour, we were like, let's move to upstate New York, because if you can't be famous, a giant fish and a giant pool, go ahead and be a giant fish and a tiny pool. And so uh, I think this this town at some point was like in playboy magazine for having the most bars per people capita of any college town uh and so i got a job at a bar and befriended all of the folk in town who did all the stuff at night and my I, what i thought anyway was a fun habit of drinking sometimes doing like party drugs uh never really smoked weed because I just never really could handle it. Um, but uh, I, I did I, I did drugs that intensified the moment. I, I wanted to be more. Um, and I, I, yeah, so, you know, when you work at a bar in a, in a college town, it, it's, it's, it's like being a rock star. You know, people know you, people want what you have, people want the access to what you have. And then just to be a bartender is, is like, it's a, it's a performance in and of itself. And if you're good at it, if you can multitask and move around and control the crowd, there's a certain swagger to that. 
and it draws attention. So it like it fit right in with my personality, like being behind the bar. And it was so loud that it never really like affected me in the anxiety because it, it, it was it was louder than my anxiety. That plus the, you know, ball of whiskey a night and a yeah. ball of cocaine. But um, <laughs> uh, it, it, and, and it was good for a while. But when I tell this story, like I tell this story often when I'm working with young people, I don't like to spend a lot of time in the details. And I realize this is more of an adult audience, more centered toward people who are um, very familiar with this world. So I, I'm adding more detail than I normally would. But th- at the end of the day, I, I went from, you know, a dude moving to this town for a reason uh, with, you know, around a bunch of artists and musicians where if I were focused, if I knew what my purpose was, if I knew what I was, why I was there, I could have done some extraordinary things. But what ended up happening was that the drinking and the drugs, you know, you, we are finite pie, right? Pie chart. There's but so much space for things, taking care of yourself, doing your job, taking care of family and friends, hobbies, interests, things of that sort. Yeah. And then, you know, so you have recreational drug use in there. You assume it's recreational and then it starts to overwhelm and overcome. And it just keeps it keeps getting bigger on that pie chart. And. The things that matter to you are getting pushed off, you know, they're just falling off the side of the chart. And when I got to my, you know, 90 percent everything I did was motivated by getting high or getting drunk to fall asleep from being high um, or drinking to excuse behavior to continue to get high or ignore my, my mother's emails and phone calls and trying to, to, to reach me in um, and, and, you know, breaking friends, trust, breaking, breaking trust of, of, of partners that I had. Um, and when I, when I got to that point, I moved back home um, to DC and I was lucky. I was lucky for a couple of reasons. One, when I was 19, my family started having family reunions mm-hmm. and that's, um, and it was a big deal um, in my, on my father's side of the family. Uh, they were called the, 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 the six pack, my grandmother and her five brothers and sisters. So the six of them were called the six pack. And so um, it started out as a celebration of them as the oldest living folks in our family. And then every year, each one of them got like a special tribute and video done and so on and so forth. And so uh, it was like, no matter how far away I got from my family, in my right mind, that reunion presented an opportunity for me to at least see the island in the distance if I ever wanted to swim towards it, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it just it just brought it back in enough view to know that there was land for me. And I, I, I use that metaphor because I know what it's like for many people estranged from family mm-hmm. um, out in the world and 
you know, if it's not for some local nonprofit or, or, or service that throws a life jacket every once in a while, but for the most part, you are out in the most horrible of seas and you feel completely alone. It's like your, your habits, right. That's, and it, I mean, for you, maybe it was different, but for me, it was like, I think it was deceptive how the isolation, the, the self-isolation took a hold. It was gradual enough where I didn't realize, but then next thing you know, it's like all you feel comfortable with and then you're brushing things off. And then, you know, then the shame comes later. You start feeling guilty and ashamed that you're not, that it's been too long since you've seen people, but for the longest time, it was like, it wasn't even on my radar. You know, I didn't even, so now you're, you're so self-absorbed, you know, getting lost in your own inner world. Um, like that was the way it was for me, where it was just like, I couldn't escape myself after a while, you know? Yeah, no, I get that. And I see that a lot. I think it was a little bit of that. Um, but because of the nature of my lifestyle, uh, I, I compartmentalized things. And so my family was here and my poetry was here and the bar was there and the drugs were there. And I assumed that ne'er should any of them meet. And then uh, when I started to, when it started to fall apart, when the illusion started to fall apart, because it was always an illusion, what you realize is, is that the people in this part of your life, they might not have been able to put their finger on it, but they they could tell something was wrong. They could see that you were getting thinner. They could see that you were not showing up on time for things. They could see that you know, you used to talk about all the stuff you were going to do in the future and where your career was going and so on and so forth. And that started to to fade away. And then you started asking to borrow money and then not pay it mm. back. And it just, you know, it, 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 it compounded. And I moved from one space to the other when I exhausted whatever goodwill was in that space. And then I just ran out of spaces. And I was lucky enough that my father is someone who is in recovery also. And he was at a point where he was able to, and my mother persuaded hard, I'm sure, but they welcomed me back into the house. No questions asked. Um, And again, I know this story is not everybody's story, but that I think it was, year and a half, two years, um, that I was able to, to live at home and go home after work and, and find a job that, you know, I think I went, my first gig back, I was making milkshakes or, 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 or whatever the, the shakes that you make at Gold's Gym. I was the dude on the bar at Gold's Gym. Like the protein shakes? The protein shakes, yeah. So that was my first gig coming back, throwing bananas and stuff and shakes for, for dudes at the gym. And then I worked at a furniture store and then I got into uh, to, to retail pretty hard for a few years. And then I got a job at a restaurant and slowly just kind of worked myself back into, but for the first two years, what was the most helpful was the fact that when I got off of work, I went back home to my parents' house. 
And, you know, they lived such a lifestyle that I wasn't exposed to what I was, what I would have been exposed to in pretty much any other space, say maybe a sober house. And it was a sober house because no one in that house was drinking. Um, And so when I said earlier that like, that's, you know, my recovery started much earlier when I stopped, when I moved from New York, I stopped doing what you would, I guess, consider hard drugs is I stopped doing cocaine. Yeah. But I didn't stop drinking because I didn't think I had a drinking problem. I thought I had a cocaine problem. Right. Um, And, you know, if you look at the trajectory of my life from that moment, you might agree that, oh, all he just needed to stop doing was cocaine. But what I think unveiled itself as time went on was that what I really didn't have was any healthy coping skills. And so when things went bad, when I got on my own again, when, you know, I didn't have anybody looking after me or when I got sad or when I got angry or when I got nervous or when I got whatever, I drank Mm. and it was okay because I always got up and and went to work the next day. Right. But then I had a son and I'm going to be clear. I, I don't, I didn't stop drinking for my son. Uh, I, I, my son was a reflection of the state of my life. And him being there allowed me to see what was wrong with my life. I, I, don't, I don't like putting that weight on him. I mean, not that I've ever had this conversation with him, but I will <laughs> one day because he has a very public father. And so we're probably going to talk about it. But I also don't like the idea of there are many people that we know that, you know, the term sometimes they say lost their fight to to this disease or whatever. Yeah. I don't believe they loved their children or their partners or their parents any more or less than those of us who happen to still be here after fighting the disease. I think there is a strong part that is will, but most of it is grace. Most of it is the privilege of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. You know, I, I had two parents and a home to go to, you know, you take that from my story. I might not be here right now. You know, I had a child with a woman who had her head on straight and was supportive and didn't, you know, never use it as a weapon and instead, you know, chose to become really good friends so that we could put our son first. You know, and that didn't become, you know, any more of a, you know, any more of a stressor on me than naturally becoming a father unexpectedly would put on a person. Right. And as far as my son is concerned, I thought I had everything under control because I had rules. And, you know, the rule was first, you know, when you have your son, because we had him, you know, 60, 40, then it changed over time, but you don't. You don't drink when you have your son. Then it became, you don't drink when your son's awake. And then it became, 
just don't let them see you drinking. Um, right. and, and it became shit. Is this my weekend? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can um, to that. Yeah. You know, you, you don't pick your son up from daycare once and that's. Yeah. So yeah, it would, it was a reflection. I, and, and it basically said that if I wanted any chance of having any relationship with him that differed from the first 25 years of my father and I's relationship, which was damaged almost irrevocably by his drinking, um, that I was going to have to do something. So a friend of mine uh, who, you know, we we parted ways dramatically. Um, I think I was the last person that they drink with a year before my date. And I had just been keeping track of their story and they were heavy into recovery. They were heavy, heavy AA folks. And, you know, I didn't really have, as most people don't, you know, a really positive impression of what the rooms are. Right. right. Because for reasons, right. some of which I agree with and some of which I don't, it's a very anonymous space is in the title. Right. Um, and so what you tend to get, though, is Hollywood's or the media's drama, dramatization of the space. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're already in a shitty place, the last thing you want to do is go find somebody's church basement with crappy coffee and a bunch of like old dying looking people, you know, sitting in a circle talking about the worst things that ever happened to them. Like, but if you ask me what AA was before I went to AA, that's right. exactly how I would have described it. And so in a society like ours that does not, does not put merit on living a healthy lifestyle um, and only creating spaces for folks who hit proverbial bottom before they can get help. Right. You know, there's not a lot of places where like a single male adult living in D.C. making under forty thousand dollars a year can go to get right to to seek help. Right. But, you know, she I, I remember calling it was the day before Thanksgiving that year. And I had made up some excuse to my parents as to why I couldn't drive down to Richmond to meet them for Thanksgiving. Um, and I probably, you know, those boxes of wine, I'd probably yeah. put one and a half of those down. You know how much it's like three and a half bottles in one of those things. Yeah. And I just woke up on my couch. I didn't beat anybody up. I, I didn't get arrested. I didn't, I didn't beat my child. I didn't, I just, I, 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 I was on the sofa and I couldn't understand how I got in there. Right. At this point, like, and, and, and the, and the crazy thing is like, I was already in the recovery world at that point because of, I wrote this poem about my friend. I was already performing this poem. So I, I was recovery adjacent, right? Like I knew of people, but it was never my problem. Um, to that degree, I was never to that degree. And she was like, just get up and go to a meeting. There's a meeting somewhere. Just go to a meeting. Just go, just walk in, just walk into a meeting. Um, nothing 
is going to happen to you. Right. Just go in, because if you don't go in, then you're going to find yourself in the same place that you are today, maybe worse. The next day, Amen. if you do go in, you either hate it and you go out again or your miracle happens. Right. Maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you'll learn something. And, and even and that's the thing about, you know, not miracles don't, don't necessarily happen like they do in movies. Right. Like the miracle that day was just not whoever was sitting in the big chair, just being a really good host. Like and I was I, I at that point in my life, I was hosting um, like three or four open mics a month uh, out in the town. Like I, I, I appreciated somebody who could hold a hold a room and whoever was in the big chair that day really held the space. And I was like, it was almost entertaining, you know, like and I was like, wow, like this doesn't suck. Yes, it's dark. Yes, the coffee is awful. But like it doesn't <laughs> suck being here. Right. And, you know, being a young person, young people came up to me and said there are other meetings around where there are young people. Um, I think that year, yeah, that I went to the New Year's party and there was, you know, multiple rooms and it was a soap, the phone button, the DJ. And I was like, oh, you know, let's break that myth that if you don't drink, you'll never have fun again. Right. Um, and it was just, you know, I don't I don't do the rooms anymore. Um there are times when I'm out on the road because I'm on the road a lot that, you know, I will find a room if necessary, yeah. but it's, it's, it's not something that I stick to, but I needed that in that moment. Right. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, that's, that was the beginning of my recovery story part. Do, um, do, do it, do it. I'm trying to say it like hot shots, but I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if you say the X and I have. Yeah. Let's go ahead and age myself. No hot shots. That really cool. movie. Dude, I don't, I, I was 35 there. years ago. <laughs> the other kids don't understand. No. All right, sir. How, 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 how do we, how does that sound? How do we go from here? Man, I, you know, thinking about it, the nightlife living in, I could imagine dude working in a bar, and and then you know getting the coke dabbled in there and it's always there it's always there you know they go there to sell that stuff so yeah. you know what do you do it's like you went in rome you know and yeah. I, can, I can imagine how all consuming that became for you uh being in that life and, and to be able to even i guess what impressed me is that you knew that you needed to do something and you had the balls to even ask to go home. Yeah. You know, it's a blessing that they let you come home. Yeah. But that's something that most people can't bring themselves to do. Right. Like yeah. once we got ourselves in this mess, oh, now the shame keeps me from contacting people that I know care and want to help or would want to help, I should say, because they don't want to help because they don't know I need fucking help because I won't tell them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really awesome. Uh, I, I, I don't even know how many years I was just tried to hang on to the lie, you know, even, even though I knew for a long time that they, that people knew something was up, I wasn't going to expose that. And I was going to do everything still like hustle to try to, uh, 
fix the appearance of the situation in my life, you know, and, and, and like live up to some kind or create some kind of like image of what my life had become. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think for me, it was two things. I remember, I remember thinking to myself, how do I make this last longer? And I, and I looked up, um, what it meant to freebase, like how to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that scared the shit out of me that I even like inquired, like I had seen people do it before, but I didn't, and, but I wasn't going to go to someone and be like, what are the steps to making this cocaine last longer and hit harder? Um, so that, 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 the fact that I was even like researching that. Right. Um, and then there, for some of us comes a point where, you know, the lie is maintained by the fact that there's always somebody around you that you can point to that's worse off than you. Yep. Then at, but at some point you become the person that's worse off, right? Like there's always someone you can turn to the guy beside you. Like, well, at least I'm not that motherfucker. Um, but when you become that motherfucker, it's yeah. like, I haven't, I've, it's, 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 I'm either going to remove myself completely from society and just completely be in this, or I'm going to throw up whatever my last shot is. And I whatever I was lucky that my last shot went in. No, oh, yeah. You know, this is why I believe in in many pathways. This is why I believe in harm reduction. I believe that you need to keep people the fuck alive um, for as long as possible because there is it, there's a greater distance for some people between where they are and where their miracle is. And if we can understand that and recognize that and not judge people for that, that process and keep it as safe and as you know regulated as possible um as to not have it be taken advantage of but to to always be there when people need in whatever way is best for them um even if they failed at every other way uh that 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 they get because damn it, they're still breathing a chance to go around all those ways again. And why the hell not? Exactly. Because I know what I would do for my son. Right. I know what people have done for their children. And it sucks to think that what what was the weak point wasn't the parent or the, the loved one, but the system that we live in. Right. Um, you know, I've, I've had friends lose children. Yeah. Um, and there's no perfect way to respond to a child who is using. There's no perfect way. There's no perfect way to, to that, that, that guarantees a particular outcome. You know what I mean? By perfect way. But um, I know that love ain't enough. I know that, 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 that idea of love harder or whatever, like that, that shit comes to a wall. Sometimes, sometimes you have to protect your loved ones. Sometimes you have to protect the other people in your family. Sometimes there's just like, there's just things there. There's, it doesn't mean that you give up on the person, but like there, there are love ain't always enough. So if we don't have these things built into our community where, you know, I can't let them in this space, but I know that there are people out there with Narcan, 
right? So if he goes into over, if he ODs like in a public place or whatever, that like this is you Narcan's ubiquitous in our society. It's in every coffee shop, it's in every bar, or restaurant, like in every bartender and 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 barista and everyone. They've been trained on it. So if something like that happens within their eye shot, like we can do something about. It. We're not just watching people die on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that. Um, you know, that the, the, there are methadone and suboxone like clinics where people can go and what they're getting doesn't have fentanyl in it. So like, yeah, they may still be quote unquote using, but at least they're using something. They know what it is and it's monitored by somebody. And every time they have to go back to the space, they're being offered services and a way out and so on. So like, as long as like, but because all of that's not happening. Right. Equally with parity across the country. Right. And in every community. I was going to say that <laughs> sounds like a really awesome, perfect world that you're describing. Yeah, it's not even it's not even a, I don't I don't it's not even a perfect, not a perfect world. world even in that world, people still die. Right. Yeah, There's you no know what I mean, though. yeah, but I know. Yeah, because yeah. dead people can't recover. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's like, what it. Yeah. When I when I was a teenager, there was a place in Minneapolis, Minnesota called WAP. It was woman with a point. Mm-hmm. And it was just like literally, dude, this little apartment and you'd walk up there and you'd they'd only let in one person at a time. And you'd fill out like a little small questionnaire, super tiny, really like vague, you know, uh, with the information it asked. You didn't have to give them like a lot of personal information and they'd give you all the works and tools that you needed to use safely. And then you could give them your dirty needles and they would dispose of them. And then they had a bunch of like informational stuff around, Yeah, but that was like, no questions asked. And I, I can remember being so scared to go there the first time. Cause I never heard of something like that. And this was before harm reduction was even becoming like a thing. Um, but I, t- I could tell you looking back, dude, that, that, that place probably saved my life. Well, you talk but, about tipping the pain scale, which is, I guess, one of the ways that we come to being in the same space. Yes. And one of the best things about that film is the different methods of approaching this issue that people that the that the directors and the producers chose to show, right? And and two of my favorite are um uh Ross and Josh. Roz is uh, a woman who lives in Philly and you meet her out in the street like with a basket and a and like a, a backpack with like snacks in it and and clean needles and like a, just a mountain of narcan and she's like going just walking her neighborhood um and offering people things and picking up you know used needles and getting them to a, a drop off point and uh and and just being a source of sunshine um as she would put it to yes. Um, the people that she is serving as they are being sources of light to her. Um, and, and, you know, people can't see that light. A lot of people can't see that light, but she has a, a way of, of, of seeing it. And so, you know, she, at this point, she's reversed over a thousand um, yeah. overdoses with Narcan. And it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. And like, and not in like a hospital, right. Not in like a, a space where people who have overdoses are being neatly like brought to like, out in them streets yeah. and you know i the reason why i i i, I think I, I bucked back when you said um perfect world was because i don't believe it's unattainable um yeah. right and 
and she has issues like everybody else like it's not like she's like an angel because and nothing touches her and no bad things have ever happened to her um in fact quite the opposite yeah and but she 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 just said i'm going this is what i'm going to do i'm going to get out here and this is how i'm going to help this problem um and it takes that kind of attitude multiplied which is why i love this movie because i think people can see that and say oh i didn't even know that was a thing i could do this yeah. one, if, if everybody and, and do it. If, if everybody in Philadelphia took one day a week to spend out in the streets doing something for somebody else, right? Like this is something, a, a, a thing when I worked in high schools and I was trying to think of ways to get high school students to like to participate more in their community. I was like, there's got to be a thing. If every high school student had to do 40 hours of community service every school year, right? In their community, out in, in report back, if, every, if that was a requirement, not only would it build uh, 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 an idea of service that I think is necessary for a capitalistic society to have any chance of of operating without people falling fully into greed, um, but it it gives you I don't know how many people are in high school, but it gives you a lot of, a lot more hours of things getting done. And then when you when the high school students have to do that. It's like, okay, there's not enough organizations to manage all those high school students, but they will, those organizations will come. Someone told me that, you know, 10 years ago, that if I started an after-school creative writing program, I could have uh, and like an army of like 20 high school students help me start that and get it off. The, you know, I would have blown my mind. And in fact, that's what I did 10 years ago. Right. But it would have been a completely different animal if there were high school students who had to get credit and then they, they could work with me. Um, and so... There are tangible, non-Superman sounding, you know, non-Citadel on the Hill sounding solutions <laughs> that 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 basically, you know, when it, the problems are complex, period, because human beings are complex. But how often do you hear all I needed was someone to talk to? All I needed was someone to listen to me. All I needed was to be seen. And that was enough for me to get up and move to the next good decision. So while we may be complex beings and cities and worlds and governments and finance may be complex thoughts, getting up and helping somebody is not that hard. And it has profound effect on both you and the person who's being helped. Absolutely. I think I would argue that I get more out of it than they do. You know, when I'm helping somebody else, I probably get more out of it than they do. Yes. I mean, I I can't, I can't argue with that because I don't, I don't know what's in, I don't know what's in you and I don't know what's in the other person, but I can see the transaction. Right. And, and, you know, when I, people ask me why I do what I do with young people, anybody I do with young people, adults. Now there's a moment where a person realizes that they can do something that they didn't know they could do. Yes. Right. There's just a moment, whatever it is. It's like, you see it in recovery all of the time. Um, I see it in youth development all of the time. I see it when I work with people in DI work or public speaking, like there's a moment where there's a, Oh, Mm. I didn't know I could do that. I thought this was who I was, or this was my character, or this was a part of my personality. And it was always going to be like this. I was deficient. I was broken. I, I, I could, there's no way to get out of this loop. I don't, I don't talk to people out loud. I don't share with people. I don't hang out with black folks. I have nothing in common with this person, so on and so forth. And then a moment happens. And it's like, yeah, 
that that's the juice for me. Hell yeah. That's what Hell yeah. Going. Um, and I understand that for most people that, you know, it's, it's the beginning of a practice and for it to be a real change that, you know, they have to dedicate themselves to, but at least to be there when that breakthrough happens. That's good shit. Good shit. And it just makes you <laughs> thirsty for more of that. Right. You know, like, I want to continue to grow. I want to continue to learn so I can continue to have those moments where I'm like, damn, you know, like I, I can't even tell you. I used to think I knew what it was to be proud, like really proud, but it was all false, you know? And, and in recovery in the last six years, I just have, I have hit milestones and I have accomplished things and I have persevered through certain difficulties where I was just really like impressed with myself, you know, like almost able to observe myself, like the training kicked in from all of this. You know, you talked earlier about that, you know, like having to learn, right. A new way to live. That's what recovery is. You know, to me, it's like, it's not quitting drugs or quitting alcohol. It's, fuck dude i had to unlearn so much and then relearn right so it's cool when you can have those moments where it just is so clear to you that you how far you've come or just like where it kind of comes into focus for a moment and you're just like wow you know like that is so cool and i and i know i'm not perfect but i like i can see it right now in this moment where where i was and where where i am today and all the little things all those little aha moments that got me there that I never thought, you know, to your point, I never thought were possible. Every time I had one of those aha moments, I never thought that was possible for me. I never thought that happened in my life. I thought that only happened to other people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's so yeah. dope. Yeah. So dope. Yeah. And, 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 and that's my job, you know, and I've, I've done some, like I've, I've used to run a mentoring program. So I've done some work with young people and like professional development and like, working with teenagers and, uh, you know, trying to figure out what it is they want to do in life and so on and so forth. And I always, I, not always, but I've developed this method of like, at least starting that conversation with young people. And, you know, it's not about your job per se, right? It's about what type of world do you want to live in? What type of life do you want to live? And once you decide that or like are willing to at least go in a direction and understand that's a malleable thing and it can change as you get older and experience life. But like if you walk in a particular direction, you say, I want to live in a world where, uh, you know, people have an opportunity to have uh, good health, no matter where they're from or how much money they make. All right, cool. So that's where you want. That's the idea. So what things, professions exist in that space that allow or allow that to happen? And then what personality traits do you have that can exist in those particular spaces? I'm not married to being a poet. I'm not married to being a facilitator or performer. I am committed to the idea that the world is better when people are encouraged to share their story. And, and use their strengths, right? Like and and create empathy in the process of doing that. Like that's how that's how people cross streets to help folks 
that are going through things that they may not be able to comprehend because there's a certain sense of empathy that was built into them where they can see themselves in other people's struggle. And so they take that risk. They take that chance because if they were in that position, they would want someone to do it for them. And, and so I facilitate spaces sometimes as a performer, sometimes as a, a teacher, sometimes as a filmmaker or a videographer, sometimes as an audience member, sometimes as a whatever, as a parent. Like I just create spaces where those things happen. Um, and I think when we look at what we want to do with our lives, when people are looking for their purpose or whatever that whatever that is, it's not always about being one thing. It's mm-hmm. about knowing what you want, what ideals you want to serve and what talents and strengths you have and using those talents and strengths to serve that purpose. Um, to serve that type of world that they want to live in. And I have no idea how I got to this point in the conversation. It it was a thought I had in my head. And so I said it out loud. Well, damn right. But what (laughs) it's cool. The cool thing is that it sounds um, if anybody listening, if you're familiar with peer support or, you know, peer recovery specialist training, it sounds a lot like that. You know, it's like meeting somebody where they're at, helping them assess themselves and really they give you the answers right like yeah. it all comes from inside them you yeah. know they tell you what their strengths are you know you just basically invoke the question and get them to uh illuminate those things and then uh you task them with that with that responsibility like now it's your your responsibility to do something with that and like yeah help them create their own uh course of action or whatever purpose passion uh, if you will but speaking of passion i mean you're clearly so passionate about this stuff that you do um how did you even get into i mean you said that you worked for a mentor place so maybe that was kind of how you know it sparked the spark but I mean, cause you got your own thing and you're doing, and you've created curriculums and you're expanding on your curriculums and you've all over the country, you've done this. So how did you come into this, uh, vocation? It sounds like a vocation to me, you know, like, yeah. Um, I think it's, it starts, it started with being a performer and understanding at the very base of it that life expressed or explained through art hit differently. That makes sense. Sorry. I don't know if you can hear my wife yelling upstairs. Um, that's what I look back at. Sorry. She's ready for uh, you. So what? Oh, she's, <laughs> no, she wasn't yelling for me, but no, I mean, I am actually, I'm running close to time, but let me, Okay. At least finish this whole story. Yeah, because um, I want to. I want to hear about uh, your your business, uh, and and you know the passion behind that. Whatever, whatever you want to share about that, and then I just have a quick set of uh, closing questions too. It's like yeah, seven, yeah. seven questions. Yeah. So, so I mean, my 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 business. I've all there's been the work that I've done, and there's been the work that I've been called to. And so I, I, I was, I've experienced how art can move 
people and move things that statistics or factual retellings of things, direct, straightforward retellings of things can't do. And so it became an eventual shift where first it was just like, I'm going to perform because I like people clapping for me. And then I lived some life and went through some shit. And I was asked to share my story as a point of inspiration for young people. And I was like, I can't believe that my life can be a point of inspiration for anybody. And then in that process, realizing that not only was my life worthy of being told and had actually had value that the people that I was talking to their lives had the same thing. So how do I help them see in their story, what I've seen in my story Right. and, and use, you know, you talk about the peer coaching, like use your lived experience as a source of strength and wisdom. And it doesn't mean like cutting everybody out and you can do everything on your own because, you know, if you just get asked the right questions and all the answers are within you. But it does mean that I don't always have to look up or outward for motivation. I can motivate myself. I can find value in my story and even use my story to help other people who are close to me. And I get to do it on a large, like a large scale basis. But the reason why I rarely just speak at a, uh, an event, I, I always now try to speak and do some sort of workshop is because I want to be able to pass these skills on to other people to use in their life. And I'd much rather facilitate a workshop than talk for an hour because I think that the people in that workshop will leave with more than they would with me just talking, but you know, it doesn't hurt financially to do both. Um, what does so, it say? You can feed you can feed somebody once, or you can go teach them how to fish, and then they'll eat for the rest of their life. You know. Yes, and 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 I think part of my the part of the, the you know I think any quote unquote motivational whatever speaker part of your job is trying to get people to take whatever it is and be motivated to go and create a version of it for themselves. Yes. So you know I. I'm not going to fix your life in an hour speech. I might inspire you, but at, at what I want to do is very least be one more brick in the road as you're walking towards the version of yourself that you want to be uh, next level um, and lead you in a direction that uh, is a space where you start investing in yourself on a more regular basis and realize that no matter what it is that you want to work on, that it's a practice and investment. Being human is a practice, no matter what part of yourself you're working on. There's no like, I did it, I got the training, I'm good. Uh, it's always, you always have to, you know, re, find creative ways to reiterate that learning. Um, and, and, and yes, maybe one time or two learn something from me that you didn't know before coming into this space, but I don't claim to own any sort of knowledge that is uniquely you know, born of me, I am a vessel uh, from which thousands and thousands of years of wisdom have found their way in. And I can, you know, spit it out in a particular way. Um, But delivery is unique for sure. 
<laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, but yes, it, it, it is because at the end of the day, it's me. But like, if you want to travel that outline, I can name you the 10 poets whose style I stole and, and threw into a ball um, <laughs> to, to, to as I was looking for my own voice, because, you know, most of us start out emulating other people before Absolutely. we find our own space. All, um, artists, all artists. Yeah. And so like there's 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 very little I have zero shame in that. Um, but uh <laughs> That's 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 where that's where um, that's where I find myself now. And I I'm lucky to, you know, the movie is helping introduce me to my work to a larger audience. Um, you know, one day I might write a book. Uh, I like video as a means to communicate to folks. So this year I'm starting a blog um, second week of January. I'll, I'll you know, while I'm on the road doing promotion for the movie and speaking at colleges and stuff, I want to share that experience out um, yes. in a way that is uh, not glorifying um, because it's a hard lifestyle to choose. But I I feel like I've gained so much from looking at other people's vlogs and things of that sort that maybe that there's somebody in my circle that would get something from seeing this and and, you know, someone looking at the camera and being honest about what's going on in their life, as opposed to like, look at this fabulous hotel they put me in. And yeah. don't you, you know, if you work really, really hard, you can have all of this, too. I, I, that's, I made I it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know what you want. I don't know what your definition of success is, but I know that being human is a practice. And I want to invite people on my journey a bit um and and see what value i get out of it and if they get any value out of it um That's but yeah awesome. now i i i i've worked with large companies i work with small companies i work with schools um i i i write curriculum i i write original poems for for causes that i believe in um i get to to the travel and do a bunch of cool stuff um but my main focus my main thing that I care the most about um, is my family stumping around upstairs uh, and trying to get to a point in my career where I can spend most of my time with them and yes. be able to provide for them. Um, you know, part of me, sometimes you wishes that my talent was carpentry so I could just stay at, you know, I can go to work and come home and not worry about traveling on the road. But you know, I've I've been called to this and my wife kind of sort of knew what she was getting into when she married me. But, um, you know, the pandemic has changed things. And, you know, I have a bunch of gigs on the road. They could all get canceled tomorrow. Um, and I think it's about just staying, keeping an open mind and, and, and investing in means with which to continue to create community with folks. And, and we're all going to be all right. Let's do your um let's do your your fast questions before I get divorced. All right, man. We will do that. <laughs> and just to let you guys know, you know, I'll have links uh and contact information for Joseph in the show notes. So if this sounds intriguing to you, uh you can definitely check out his work. And I'm sure I'm I'm looking forward to that vlog, dude. That's gonna be tight. Um looking forward to seeing more of that i've really enjoyed being a follower of yours since uh mobilized so uh that's, that's what's up. it's all exciting it's all exciting stuff uh, it really is you guys got to check them out and learn more um so here we go closing questions we think that daily 
routines of some sort or another are vital for keeping on your spiritual beam or whatever, uh, just staying um, emotionally well. So what does your daily or regular recovery routine consist of? I believe in, um, I, I practice mindfulness. And, and so I think that that can mean many different things. I, 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 I call it creative mindfulness. And I call it that because I'm not a very consistent person. So it's important that I give myself that grace um, yeah. and more focus on the practice of being present as opposed to a particular practice by which I remain present. And so whether that is being in focus when I walk my dog and thinking about the steps and breathing the air and being grounded in that moment, as opposed to being on my phone, which I will do most of the time or um, protecting the time between five and seven 30 when my son, my, my youngest son is awake to be either cooking for my family or playing with him or my wife is cooking or um, just trying to have those anchors um, when you have a life like mine, and by that, I mean, like you're a consultant and you are a performer and you can get called on the road or, you know, you do a, a podcast at six o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you can't always be there at the same time every day like you would like to be. So making sure that when I can, I am and that I am present and that there's value in it. Um, uh Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, 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 I will, I'll stop with the things I was successful doing this year and not necessarily talk about what I'm trying to do in 2022, but yeah, that's, that's how I, that's, that's at the very, that's the base of my practice. That's good. Um, because I think that we could, we could say we neglected those things for a long time. Yeah. What is a book or a piece of literature that has had the biggest impact on your recovery? book or a piece of literature um i don't know the name of this book but i can i can the concept behind it is something that i i i, I try to apply um and i think if i say the words cornerstone habit and you google the words cornerstone habit you'll be able to find this book it's one of those like seven habits of this or how to change your habits or something of that sort but like it speaks primarily of this idea of cornerstone habit. And, and for me, and I was just explaining this to a, a young person I work with today, it's about choosing one thing that can have a ripple effect in your life. So if, you know, just it's new year, let's say it's working out, right. And you have a Thanos like commitment to working out. You just, you, that's the only thing that you, you, you're focused on it. You don't worry about, you know, changing your diet yet. You don't worry about um, getting a certain amount of sleep yet. You don't worry. You say, I'm going to work out at this time, no matter what. Mm -hmm. If you can be consistent in that. The traits that it takes to be consistent in that will begin to permeate into the other spaces of your life. Like, well, damn it, if I'm going to be successful at working out, 
I, it's not about even about how I look or like whether or not I want this cheeseburger or not. I know that this cheeseburger is not going to give me the energy I need to get through this workout. So, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do the salad with the salmon on it because that's what I need to focus on this space. You know what? You know, I know that I held on to smoking even after recovery, but like, if I'm going to like work out, if I'm going to go to the gym, I look like a jackass walking out of the gym and lighting a cigarette. What, what is that? You know what I mean? And then it just, it, but like, if you end up smoking a cigarette again, all right, you don't stop going to the gym, whatever that is. It could be it could be the food for you. It could be the smoking for you. It could be. But whatever it takes to dedicate and focus on that will spread. Um, and so I think that's a really interesting thing for, you know, understanding that this recovery thing that we're in is about living the best life you can live and that there are several tools that don't have the word recovery written on it that can help you with that. So to not limit yourself to only literature that talks about recovery or only talking and having conversations with people who are also in recovery, you know, look at people who are living the kind of life that you want to live and, and figure out how they're doing it. You know what I mean? It's not always, you know, it, 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 when you focus on the thing that you are abstinent from, you know, the, the thing that is removed from your life when you're still focused on that, as opposed to all of the things that you can do, right. it, it in, in and of itself becomes its own trap. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and I get, I get that from folks a lot because I show up and then leave the recovery space and I show up and I leave, I can't be around the shit a hundred, I mean, 365 days. Oh yeah. I have to be around other thoughts and, and points of view. And, right. you know, um, I'm, I'm lucky to be at a point in my space that I can be around other people who, who, you know, who drank or whatever and not, and, and it not be an issue right now. Um, so I, but you know, it's, it's so, yeah, just to say that open your mind to, to, to other ways to getting what you want, whether they be spiritual, religious, physical, or intellectual. Um, there are many ways to, to, to skin this cat. Amen. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? The reason most people fail instead of succeed is because they trade the thing they most want for what they want in the moment. Um, the reason most people fail instead of succeed at anything is because they trade the thing they most want for what they want in the moment. And I think that's a particularly powerful thing to folks who are in recovery, especially in early recovery, um, because it helps to establish what it is you really want um because it in and of itself as a defined image this is the workshop that i do with folks and folks in early recovery especially is to help them try to imagine the world that they dream and to write it in vivid detail right what do you how do you want to show up for your children how do you want to show up for yourself how do you want to show up for the world what is it you know what's that vacation spot you've always been to what does the water smell like there um, and when the thing that you want in the moment comes up as it will come up many, many times a day, mm. being able to turn to that thing that you really want and see it and smell it and have it be a visceral like memory, even though you haven't experienced it yet is super valuable for the type of grit it takes to survive a long time in this game. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. I love that. So what do you think is the greatest challenge that you have faced 
in your recovery? Ego. Mm. Yeah, enough said, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's a beast, right? And that's a beast for any of us. Yeah. You know, and, and I, like, I'm on stage and people clap for me and they think it's cool to know me or like, oh, me I suppose. Me. And, yeah. and I'm still healing and hurting myself. And so if I begin to believe that I am what people see in me when I'm at my best, then I forget about the demons that are growing in the background. And I always have to be aware of them, right? They're not, they're not driving anymore, but I have to be aware of them because, you know, pride will precede the fall, right? Yes. And so there's, there's a difference between being like proud and like, damn, I accomplished the thing. Right. And to think that you are the now shit. only capable of accomplishing that thing, right? Ah, <laughs> like, yeah. That the shit will come and get you fast. Like, you know, mm. you know, there's so many things happening in our lives. And as we age, you know, our friends get older, we lose more people. Uh, and, and maybe it's not drugs now, it's disease, our old age, or you know, your parents are aging, fucking world is falling apart. Da 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 da. There's so many things that will come for you when you start thinking that you got it, got it. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, what I mean, that's why it's so important that it's a practice and not a destination you think you've arrived at. You have to keep working. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I love that, man. What is the greatest uh, success that you think that you've experienced or achieved? Oh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm married and I'm a dad two times over. That's I mean, what's that's what's up. And hey, good answer. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, hopefully she can hear that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, for me, it's like I didn't want to be a dad ever. And then I tripped in being that the first time and by grace was allowed the opportunity to get it right um, and was able to take that opportunity when it was presented to me. And then I got married and my wife wanted to have a child. And I was like, yo, I can do this. If I did it that way, I can do it this way. Yeah. And um, it ain't you know, fucking ain't perfect. It ain't perfect right now. Like it's going to be what it is when I go upstairs. But um, they know that I'm here. Yeah. And I know that I'm here and I know that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make it work. So, um, yeah, to, to, to have my children look at me the way that they look at me is the greatest thing I've been able to accomplish in my recovery. Yeah. It means a lot Yeah, to me too, you know, cause I mean, I got, I got a 23 and a 21 year old out there that I haven't seen in 20 years. So, uh, it's, it's, that was something that was hard to overcome, you know? And then I almost fucked it up and lost my youngest son too. You know, there yeah. was a time there where I had to get right. I had to, and thank God that was the time that this worked, you know, 11 inpatient treatments. And I don't know what was different that time, but you know, it was, it's, it's been a blessing for me too, man. And I'm, I'm really happy that you were able to recognize and, make those necessary shifts in your life. So you were able to continue to be a dad for all your kids, man. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, two more. We're in this one's probably the heaviest one. And then a fun one at the end. What is something that you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? Nothing. 
it's the, awesome. No, it's the, I mean, like it's the, it's the, there are things that haunt me that still come back and I regret having done, but I can't, I work in prisons. I work with people who have like murdered folks. You know, I, I can't hold on to shit inside of me and then turn to somebody else and say that you can feel redemptive redemption also. Yeah. So I can't, I, I don't want to be, I'll be very clear. It's not a, it's a forgive, not forget type situation, right. but it's, it's, I, I can't operate in the world holding on to that shit. And I, it's a line in a poem that I, that, you know, that is, um, if the world is to ever to, um, if the universe is to ever to extract the remaining usefulness from you, forgiveness has to be an olive branch. We eventually extend ourselves. Yes. Um, and once I got that, it didn't make it all go away, but I just, I can't, I choose not to hold on to it in that, in that manner. It has to be something that I can learn from. It has to have value. And I can't go back and say sorry to everybody because I don't even remember some of the people that I've screwed over. Um, You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know. And some of them died and I won't ever be able to do it. And some of them will never answer my phone calls again. So I'll never be able to do it. So if I held on until that moment and and as far as things been done to me, you know, I've had my share of trauma and shit happen to me, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed that most of my shit has been the shit I caused myself. Yeah. So, um, no, that's I, awesome, you know, dude. That, that, and that's a, that's a level of enlightenment that, you know, that's, that is the goal. And, yeah. to, your, and to your point, dude, you know, things are going to bubble to the surface sometimes, but guess what? Now I have tools to cope yeah. where I didn't then. Exactly. And I can uh, move past it and through it again. And I will. And I don't have to shut it off or try to. I don't have to numb it out. Um, No, that's that's really instructive. Uh, Last last one is what is a song that reminds you of or symbolizes your recovery? Uh, Float on by Modest Mouse. (laughs) <laughs> yes <dude. laughs> uh that album good news for people who um love bad news um played on repeat in <laughs> the shittiest little room i rented in the last place anyone would give me a place to stay in upstate new york as i slept on a futon mattress and it played on my you know, one of those old school computers with giant boxes and a monitor, you know, that was like 35 pounds and <laughs> fucking speakers that you had to plug into the thing Why there was no wireless anything. And, right. you know, it, I would, I would, I would cop, I would go back to my room and I would do until I had no more. And I would, you know, drink my night quill to try to go to sleep because that's all I could afford. Mm-hmm. And that album would play and play and play and play and play and you know it it was a life jacket it was a buoy it was something that that kept me afloat um and uh i think when you can look at life sort of in the way that that album looks at life and it, it it can it can make some of the harder things not so hard, right? That the idea of being able to float on past stupid decisions, float on past the people who have hurt you, float on past the hurt you've caused, and and not forget it, and not um, and not dismiss it, but to claim it and and to be made lighter because of it. Um, 
it's, uh, it's tattooed on the inside of my my bicep. I will yeah, never, yeah. I will never forget it. It's the first song on my 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 favorite playlist on Spotify that I made. It's yeah, it'll always be there. And luckily, before all this shit went down, me and my wife got to go see them in concert in DC. And yeah, yeah, that's my song. That's awesome. And just so you know, dude, if you look up the way it's called the way out playlist mm-hmm. there, I, I created a pod or a whole playlist. That's just curated by the guests. Asking this question. Yes. Nice. It's so <laughs> kick ass. It's weird though. It's kind of like anyone you're, ever called, had anyone ever claimed float on? I don't think that song's in there. No. Okay. Good. Good. Nope. nope it is it not in there. there. It is not <laughs> in there. And that's a yeah. great song. Dude, I was going to ask you to do a poem, but I know you got to go cook. So I'm um, here, oh, here, 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 here we go. Here we go. Oh, you want to do it? Yeah, I'll do. I'll do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm already you, in, sir. Yeah. You are I'm already in trouble. I might as well. You, you know, are a blessing. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, the Ballad of St. Jude was the poem I quoted earlier. And so um, it's also the poem that closes the um, the film. Tipping the pain scale, uh, bring it to your town. Go to the website, tippingthepainscale.com. Um, if you want to bring it, you can use it as a fundraiser. You can use it as an opportunity to bring stakeholders in your community together to keep conversation going about this uh, this topic and know that you're presenting them with a film that is full of truth and hope and solution. Um, St. Jude, the patron saint of children's hospitals, apparently, and um, lost causes. Yes. And this is for anyone who's ever considered themselves a lost cause. May you find at the height of your recovery that which you never found at the bottom of your addiction. Salvation was never there. Trust me, I looked often and with the thorough eye of a man willing to face anything except his own truth, my truth a jealous and relentless lover who always refused to play the role of mistress. She would lie with me when I thought I was alone, sit next to me on the train when I thought I was running away. And if I adjusted the frequency just so, I swear I could hear her whisper. I could set you free. She was there the day I sat shaking in the corner of my drug dealer's kitchen, waiting for my drug dealer to go to sleep so that I might creep into a stash spot and put a Band-Aid over this bullet wound of an addiction. She was there the day the man who welcomed me in like a father, said with his eyes like Christ to Judas, I know it was you, selfish son with sinister intent and stealing fingers, taking from the register his money, his trust, but somehow never his faith. She was there the day my best friend stopped talking to me. He had been through this before and refused to be on the receiving end of yet another suicide note. She was also there the day I realized that what the world had taught me was a moral failing was in fact a disease, a poison passed effortlessly through the veins of my family tree. She told me on that day, never forget that love is to redemption, excuse me, that love is to forgiveness as recovery is to redemption. Where you find one, you will always find the other. You must fall out of love with punishing yourself for the pain your actions have caused others. I'm sorry is an important step, but it will only ever be a bucket of sand trying to smother a forest fire if the universe is to ever extract the remaining usefulness from us. Forgiveness has to be an olive branch we eventually extend ourselves. 
we must learn to live in the spirit of Saint Jude. Let us use this life and this light and these words as a beacon of hope for anyone who has ever considered themselves a lost cause. We fight for the breakers and the broken, for the lost and the losing, for the stole and the stolen. We fight for the damaged and the damagers so they know that they are not alone, that we are all here hurting and healing together. We fight for those that we have lost, for the parents searching amongst the embers of lives extinguished far too soon, for communities that have been ravaged by a system that has too often punished the crime instead of treating the disease for those working inside the system, trying to restore dignity to a space that has been sacrificed for the political or financial bottom line together, we can fight to create this world as we would have it be, not just by knowing what we are fighting against, but by knowing and never forgetting what we are fighting for. Amen. Oh, dude, thank you. <laughs> that was so beautiful, man. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I hope you all enjoy that edited version where I added 45 lines to make it through because I didn't pull up in front of me. However, I want to show that as an example for anybody out there who wants to do the type of work that I do. It's not about getting it all right. It's about being all there when you do it. Um, and yeah. and I, I there were things in that poem that I had discovered for the first time doing it in this way. And um, I want to thank you for this opportunity to, to chat and to perform and to um, hopefully shed some light and in, into some people's lives. Amen. Dude, I love you, man. You're awesome. I love you too, man. Keep doing what you're doing and you guys want to check them out. Like I said, I'll have all his information in the show notes and you can, you can access his poetry. You can uh, book him if you want him for your, for your school or for your organization or whatever. Um, Joseph, dude, God bless you, sir. And yeah. best of luck in your future ventures, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Until we meet again, sir. Yes. Take care. Peace. And all you guys out there listening, take care of each other. Talk to you later. Peace. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up if you would like to reach out to the show you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com that's wayoutcast all one word dot com there you can subscribe to the way out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators such as itunes Castbox, stitcher tune in podbean overcast and more or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show contact us at share at wayoutcast.com see you next time and remember if you don't change your sobriety date will